Growing a small business has never been easy. So, how can we build our companies and shortcut the learning curve? By getting advice from the people who've done it before. Everything you need to grow your business is right here. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to the conference room. Good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. I'm joined by Terry Ann Richards. Terry Ann is a 16-year serial entrepreneur turned business coach. She's owned, started, partners and sold more than eight companies. She's both succeeded wildly and failed miserably in both business and in life. She's a best-selling author, event producer, and business mentor, and works with leaders, professionals, and entrepreneurs in developing the person behind the title. Her belief is simple, to achieve the ultimate of personal success. It's an inside-out job, and I'm delighted she's come into the conference room to tell us all about that. Terry Ann Richards, good afternoon, and welcome to the conference room. Well, hello there, Simon. How are you today? I am very, very well, and how are you? I'm fantastic. I'm really excited to be here. That's great. And thank you so much for joining us. So every hero has an origin story and you're the hero of our story. So tell me, how did somebody go from the humble beginnings that you allude to through to the success that you've achieved? Awesome. How far do you want me to go back, Simon? The very beginning. You're born <laughs> at an early age. <laughs> Well, folks, I was born in 1983, so you can all do math to figure out how old I am because a woman never says her age, right? And you know, lived through a lot of varying ups and downs. I come from a very chaotic background, a lot of substance abuse and violence in my family upbringing. As a teenager, I was a rebel without a clue. And I think at a very young age, I recognized I was not employable. I think that was the word my high school teacher used. About 18 and a half years years old, I was put in a predicament where entrepreneurship was really the only option for me. I had recently given birth to my daughter. I was 16 when I was pregnant, 17 when I had her. And so basically all odds were against me. And one of those odds was I was not employable and I needed to have a flexible lifestyle. And so entrepreneurship was the next best thing. And for me, you know, if I were to look over the course of, you know, my 16, 17 years of business, really the one commonality that I have through all of the businesses that I've been in, and I'll talk a little bit about that, is having that risk tolerance. Not having any other option when I was so young really allowed me to, I guess, get my MBA straight from the streets of entrepreneurship. Some people go to university to go learn about business, then they start a business. I literally wrote the book while going through all of these different businesses. And so my very first company was in the sign industry. So I had a company called Valley Words of Wisdom Decor. It was a sign manufacturing company. I did B2C, so selling direct to customer in the beginning. After about a year and a half in that business, I recognized really quickly that the way to scale the company was actually B2B, going into retail stores and selling to them directly because they had 
had access to all the customers. That is what I did. Not because somebody told me to do it because it looked like the next right thing to do. I guess I've always had this natural intuition of what should I do next? And that's what I did. I started knocking on doors. I was in my early twenties at that point. And I started knocking on retail store doors. This was before social media was cool. And I got a bunch of retail stores that were really interested in the product and grew that company successful, very, very good. And then after about four years, I sold it. I sold it. I got bored with it and I started to have some new and exciting ideas. And then I opened my first retail store. And I think that I was around my mid twenties there and I had a retail store and we expanded that into a wellness uh, store. So it was a eco-friendly store that I had expanded it into two stores. It had its own publishing house. Simon, I've had so many cool stories that come between then and now you tell me the direction you'd love me to go because I could keep you on this for hours. Okay, well, I'd love to hear all of it, but let's just sort of drill in. We mentioned in my intro that you've had some glorious successes and some disappointments, okay? So I'd like to drill in initially on the disappointments, if I may. If there are any kind of common denominators or patterns, Mm. with the benefit of hindsight looking back, you think, well, these were some of the things that if I'd known then what I know now, or being able to deploy 20 hindsight, what I might have done differently. So like maybe any mistakes or areas that could have been prevented, could have been stopped. Were there any kind of common denominators as you look back through your career at those failures that seem to jump out? Yeah, absolutely. I think the common denominator would be going into each business as obviously beginnings as a solo entrepreneur, right? A team of one. And the things that jump out at me that were common in all of them was the inability to delegate, the inability to delegate, to look outside of myself. I tried to wear all the hats early in my career in business. The biggest mistakes being around delegation and not having key performance indicators, not knowing which numbers to be paying attention to. And the business that I think it all kind of came to a crashing halt was that retail store. When I think back, I think I had that company for about four and a half, five years, and we expanded really, really quick. So I went from small retail store in a little town to expanding it into a wellness center to having a second retail store in a completely different town. And again, like no experience running a retail store, managing a retail store, managing people, bookkeeping. Like if you think of all of the operations that need to go behind the scenes and again, hindsight's 2020, it's a valuable lesson to learn. But when I went into the business, I I was wearing all of the hats. I did not have a bookkeeper. I did not have somebody that I could reach out to and say, hey, what does it look like when you hire, fire, put proper uh, human resource HR practices in place? What numbers, what metrics should I be looking to? And so I think the thing with anything in life, but especially in business, is it doesn't all fall apart at once. It feels like it does. It falls apart. It's like death by a thousand paper cuts. And so when it came to the halt at the very end, and when I was sort of sitting there looking at like my crumbling, crumbling business, I started to sort of go inward to think, okay, what the heck just went wrong? Because this business was extremely successful. It had made lots of money. It had great revenue. The profit margins were awesome. 
how in goodness name did it fall apart? And when I looked back, it was, you know, I had staff that was working in different stores that potentially weren't working the hours they said they were working. They were closing earlier. And we were in a district where it was six months of the year, the business was open and it was a cash cow. It was the kind of business that it was open from morning to night and your door was always opening and closing. It was a tourist area. It was an eco-friendly retail store that had all sorts of products from all over the world. I was selling eco-friendly products before eco-friendly products were cool. So I was very trending at the time. So, that so yeah, so, very well in with like, you know, tourist traffic and yeah. yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. And so I had staff that was closing the store early because, you know, it was a predominantly a college university town. So I was employing a lot of young people and some of them weren't being so honest. I wasn't watching the bank account as strictly as I should have. I was not filing my taxes on time. And, you know, you just think of all of the little things because I was trying to own everything. I was trying to wear all hats. I was HR. I was marketing. I was a web designer. I was a business card designer. I was all of these things. And unfortunately for me, and for most entrepreneurs, and it's why I do what I do today, when you're new in business, it's hard to let the reins go. And it doesn't matter how big your business is, whether it's a $500,000 business or it's a $5 million business, because at that point, that was about a million dollar company. And it didn't matter. I still tried to hold on to everything extremely tight. I was working 80 or 90 hours a week. And so, you know, I was making the mistakes on the business side, but then I was making the mistakes on the personal side. I had no personal boundaries. It was always work, but I also had two young children and I had a marriage and I had all of these other things that were happening. And I think when you try to hold on to all of those balls or keep all those balls up in the air. I mean, unless you're a professional juggler, they all just start to fall. And that's what happened to me. They didn't fall all at once, but they started to fall. And as they started to fall, the castle started to crumble. And those would have been the same mistakes that I had made at a much smaller scale earlier in my career. But because this business had grown so fast, you couldn't miss the mistakes. And they came to a point that came to fruition after that last couple of years of success. If you had a time machine and don't we all wish we had one of those, what would you go back and do differently? Oh, hundred percent play in your zone of genius, what you're really good at. So, you know, if I look back to any business I've owned, I'm extremely creative. I am visionary. So I'm very innovative. I'm the creative house, but I'm not a bookkeeper and I'm not HR and I'm not any of those things. And so hindsight's 2020, I would have stayed in my lane and hired out the rest. And I think the thing that I always hear from people, again, especially when they're smaller businesses or they're just starting up where they don't have the money, you don't have the money not to. Like you can find money, you can find resources, you can even barter. But again, that business would still be here because on paper it was successful. It would still be here today and it would be a thriving organization. But because I tried to play to some of my weaknesses, not my strengths, it took my eye off the ball. Because when you think of sort of the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, if I was spending this ridiculous amount of time on stuff that was low payoff activities for me, it was not my zone of genius. But the area of my genius was in attracting customers and in bringing in the right 
products that were trending at that time. If I would have spent more of my time in that area and less of my time trying to do all of this stuff that somebody else had a zone of genius in, the business probably would have grown more, but it would have stayed there and it would have stayed successful. And definitely that is the the biggest lesson I've learned. And I keep that at the forefront of every decision I make now. Right. Okay. So contrast this to your successes. Okay. What would you say are the primary, the areas in which you've been most successful and the businesses that you've had that have been most successful? Okay. Mm. And what would you say are the common denominators there that define that success? Oh, 100%. It would be after that failure, after having that moment where, you know, you just sort of look at it and go, oh, so many things I could have done differently. And then being given the opportunity to stay an entrepreneur and buy more companies and partner with people was staying in my zone of genius and playing 100% to my strengths and not trying to develop my weakness that was over here to the left and playing that up from 10% to 15%. No, it's like if I'm strong here at an age, what would it look like if I was a 90? Mm. What would it look like if I was a 95? And so for me, I'm extremely good at building relationships in building connections. I'm great at marketing and I'm great at looking at like the next opportunity. What's sort of the trending light that's in front of me in the business and everything else goes to someone else. None of it is my wheelhouse. I understand it enough to be dangerous. I know what's going on over here in the numbers world, but that's not where I play. That is somebody else's job. And again, some of the businesses that I've been in, they're startup, right? We're starting them from scratch. It's a from scratch business. So maybe you're not hiring full-time staff, but I'd be subcontracting. And that's the beauty of living in this global world that we're in, is that there are people that have an expertise in an area that you're weak every single place in this world, in all different time zones all different backgrounds, somebody has an expertise where you're weak and you can hire out to them. They will do an amazing job. You'll look good every day and you'll have a thriving business because of it. So I think a lot of the success that I've had has been because that I've learned that lesson the hard way, mind you, but because I've learned it the hard way, I will not make that mistake again. Okay. So when companies come to you asking you for help, the clients that you have in your coaching business, okay, what are the typical sort of problems that you see customers having? Maybe some that they don't even realize the problem is they're just seeing symptoms. They're just seeing the pain. They're not understanding what the underlying problem is. What are the most common ones that you're seeing? Honestly, the most common issue, challenge, obstacle that most people have when they're growing is people. It's the connection. It's the communication skills. It's the ability to lead. If you've ever read the e-myth or if you've ever just looked from sort of go back to the gray zone and looking at a business, most people start a business because they have a love, a passion, a thing they really like. They don't do it because they wanted to lead a team of people. Most people just don't naturally have that skill to be able to communicate their thoughts, their vision, and either be a, not a micromanager, or at least give somebody, you know, the steps that they need to take. People either fall into either category. And so they don't come to me saying, you know, I don't know how to lead because nobody ever believes that. Usually it's their challenge with bringing the next level goal for the company to fruition. And when you start to drill down what's working, what's not, what are the conversations they're having with their staff or you're doing a 360 with them and their staff and figuring out where the challenges are, it almost always comes down with a gap in the leaders, the owners lack or inability to share their vision, their goals, their aspirations, and that vulnerability with their team where the team can pick up the torch and go, okay, I got it. I got it. And let me do it because I'm really good in this sandbox. 
that's what I find most of the people who are coming to me are, are challenged with. And how do you help them overcome that? That's a great question. So I would say there's definitely a very customized approach, but I think there's some real basics at the end of the day. So for most people to be able to communicate effectively with somebody else, they actually first have to be able to communicate effectively with themselves. And that sounds funny, but most people don't have a very clear picture of where they're actually going. People have BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals, the shining light in the future of where they want their company, you know, big, big, big picture, big dreams, but they can't typically articulate and drill down what's the goal what's the real like if I could take my pen and I could put a point on it most people can't do it and you know studies show that globally less than three percent of the world sets actual goals on an annual basis goals that they can articulate that they can go from point a to point z and they can see the line in the sand to get there three percent and of that three percent only eight percent actually achieve it year over year so first and foremost we need to get super clear, like super, super clear of where are they headed? What does that look like? And then we need to draw the line in the sand of, do your people understand where you're headed? Do your people know where you're going? Do your people understand the plan? And do you have a way of tracking that metric on a regular basis? Again, thinking just goals 101, most people don't track it. So they start January one or whatever the beginning of their fiscal years. And they say, okay, here's my plan. Here's my goal. Okay, that's it. And they don't have a process in which to iterate it and track it on a regular basis to go, okay, are we still on path? Are we still on plan? Okay, we've fallen off course. Is everybody still on board? Is there a new metric that we need to be paying attention to? Because the goal typically doesn't change, but the how to get there, that's the part that we need to be paying attention to. Because when we make a decision of how we're going to get somewheres, it's based on the knowledge we have today. But in two weeks time, that knowledge is going to be different because there's new information that has been given to you. So the how sometimes needs to change. That's why so many people struggle with achieving their actual goals on a year-to-year -year basis is because they don't realize that the how is what we need to be paying attention to. There needs to be a metric attached to that how. Well, what sort of metrics are we talking about? Like what, what, what can you mean an example? Yeah, so it depends on the goal. So think about this. So I'll put myself on the hot seat for a second. So I have some pretty particular goals for 2022. Some of those goals are obviously revenue goals, but some of them are customer acquisition goals, right? So they go hand in hand. Hand. And I have a how that I'm going to get there. The how being I have a book coming out this spring, I have a global summit that I'm doing, and I have an annual event that I do year over year. That's the how. But what if I go this year to do that event that I do every single year, and the way in which it worked every other year didn't work this year? That how no longer is something that is working for me. So I need to be paying attention to all the checkpoints or the milestones along the way that I said, this is how we're going to get there. And I need to be able to decipher and discern whether or not that is still getting me on the path. It's sort of like, is the thing I'm doing pushing me closer to the end game? Or is it starting to be like a shiny new object and it's pulling me further away from it? It's just a busyness. It's a task over here but it's actually not bringing the results that I need. And so that metric is going to be different for everybody. But when you're looking at the how, you need to be able to say, okay, how will I know if this thing I'm doing is working or not? Okay, that's now the metric. That's the thing you need to be paying attention to. Great example would be some people go, okay, social media or content marketing is going to be the way in which I grow my business this year. Okay, great. I'm going to go on Facebook. I'm going to go on LinkedIn. I'm going to do this many posts. 
and they go down that road, but are they paying attention to the metrics? Are they paying attention to whether or not is Instagram really where you're supposed to be? Is LinkedIn really where you're supposed to be? Or maybe you're not supposed to be on any of those at all. And you need to be over here on this platform doing speaking or being on podcast, or maybe you need to be writing articles. Your how is always changing. And I know I'm going really, really linear and kind of really down, but at the end of the day, when you decide on a how, you need a metric to decide whether or not that how is working or not. Because if not, what you're going to do is you're going to get to the end of your quarter or the end of your year and go, shoot, we did not achieve that goal. Why not? Well, it's because you weren't paying attention to the how you were getting there. You were just following a straight path and there is no straight path to bringing a goal to fruition. Right. Okay. So one of the things that we talked about off air, I should say, was the balance myth. Okay. Tell me a little bit more about that. Okay. Explain what the balance myth is and why people can fall foul of it. Yeah. So we talk about it a lot. There's lots of books on it. Work-life balance, right? Business life, personal life, they're separate or we're supposed to have them in unison. When you think of balance, what's the image that most people get in their, their head? Well, I know for me, it's that, you know, the legal balancing scale of everything being equal. Well, if you think about it in terms of your business and your personal life, that would mean that you're giving equal attention to all things at all times. And that's damn near impossible. So there is no such thing as balance. What there is, though, is integration. And what do I mean when I say integration? The image that comes to mind for me, and if you've ever read the book Traction by Gina Wickman, he talks a little bit about this and he puts it in a little bit of a different context. But to simplify it, it's sort of picture that you have two jars in front of you, two glass jars, you can see through them. And in front of you, you have a pile of sand and a pile of rocks. The rocks signify your spouse, your health, your children, anything that you hold dear that is extremely important to you. And your sand is your career, your work, your business. If I take jar one and I fill it with my work and I fill it with my career and my business, and then I take my rocks and I try to fit it into the jar, they're not going to fit. But if I look at this other jar that is completely empty and I define to myself, what are my priorities? Well, my priorities are, I want to show up twice a week for my children at the dinner table, or I want to be there five days a week at the dinner table. I want to have a date night with my spouse every week. I want to make sure I go to the gym five days a week. These are the things that are extremely important to me as a human. And I take those rocks and I put them in the jar. And then I take the sand and I fill up the jar and all of a sudden, automagically, it all works. And I typically say to people, show me your calendar and I'll show you your priorities. And the reality is, is most entrepreneurs want balance, I'm using air quotes, balance, but they don't understand that balance is not something you can get. But what you can get is you can very clearly align your goals in your business with your priorities and your priorities being those things that you can't get back when they're gone, your health, your relationships. And if you can put those into the calendar first and then fit everything around it, it does work. It works every single time because the reality of it is most of us are trying to separate the two. I'm at work, I'm at work. And when I'm at home, I'm with home. But your brain, your mind doesn't function like that, right? I don't have this ability to shut one off or the other. There is an integration. They're both always kind of on, right? But the reality is if I'm going to be there for my son because I told him tomorrow at seven o'clock, we're going to watch a movie. 
I have to be able to have that. And I know some people are laughing at this in my calendar to say that is a time that is specific for him. That is a rock that is not movable. It's not negotiable. And if somebody in business wants me, I put that around that. You need to be able to give focus to the things that are important first and fit your business around that. And that really comes down to integrating your life and looking at it from a full picture, not doing business planning over here and then coming over and hoping that you can plan with your family. No, you're looking at an annual plan and you're looking at what's important to me personally and business and making a plan that's in alignment with that. Sometimes what happens is people set goals in business, those big, hairy, audacious goals, those really exciting goals, 10 mil, 20 mil this year. But to do that, they're going to have to work 70 hours a week. And I'm not saying 70 or 80 hours a week is wrong, but the question is, did you decide that goal taking into play what you really want over here? And again, when I'm having these conversations with leaders and entrepreneurs, the struggle is they didn't. They have the big, hairy, sparkly, shiny goals over there and they're exhausted and their health is failing or they're on the verge of a mental health crisis, a burnout, or their marriage is on the verge of a divorce. There's no possible way that stuff's not going to affect your business life. And so now all of a sudden, the big goal that you're chasing here in your business, where you forgot to put into play your priorities, your personal life, you're not going to get it anyway, because now your marriage is starting to fail. So your brain, your mind is being pulled in that direction, or your health starting to fail and you have no wealth without health. And all of a sudden, it's just all starting to fall apart. And that's where the balls start to drop. But if you can look at your priorities first on your personal side, the things that are really important to you and make sure that they are in every decision that you're making in your business and in your career, by nature, it does just work. That's really cool. I think it's interesting when people talk about work-life balance, I think that for me, there's another element. First of all, I completely agree with you that you can't give 50% to one or 50% to the other, or it's very hard to. Maybe some people can, right? And I definitely love your analogy of the rocks in the jar and the sand in the jar. I think that's fantastic. But I think there's also another element where sometimes, occasionally, priorities will shift. Okay. Like, for example, like for many people at the end of December, during the holidays, they want to go on vacation, that kind of thing, their family time is absolutely sacrosanct. Okay. Where other times of the year, and there's no judgment or criticism when I say this, it's less important. Okay. So maybe they can't make five dinner times a week. Maybe they are away for the occasional weekend. Okay. It calls to mind there's an episode in, I think, the first season of The West Wing where Leo McGarry, who is the chief of staff, has a big blazing argument with his wife because he's missed like their anniversary dinner or something. And his wife says, you know, but this is important, as in his anniversary. And he says to her, I know, but the work I'm doing at the White House is really important. And she says, yeah, but is it more important than your marriage? And he pauses and he says, right now it is. Right now, for the next three, four years or whatever, it is. This is what I'm meant to be. And this is more important than my marriage. Okay. Now, obviously, that's a very rare example. We're not talking about (laughs) most of us aren't necessarily chief of staff in the White House. That being said, there may be times in your life that the thing you're doing is more important. As in, there are times right now, right now, like for example, right now, I have to be present with you. You and I have devoted this time to be in this interview and I am present with you. 
okay? If one of my kids call me from school just because they want to see what's for dinner tonight or something, I hate to say it, right now, this, in order to be more present, is more important than that, okay? 100%. And I think the point that you're putting a good light on is that there are moments where it's a triage. But that's why it comes back to that fundamental principle that communication is so important. If you've decided that your people, your partner, your children are very important, they need to be let in on the story, right? Mm. Like the story you're talking about, the West Wing where the wife is saying, is this more important? Well, if I were to just look at this from outside looking in, yes, it is important because he has a very, very important job. But did they ever have a conversation about the importance of his job? Does she understand the importance of his job? Because to me, if you're in a relationship with somebody where you have that communication, you have that dialogue and you can say to them, there are times where I'm hundred percent on for you, but that also requires me to be hundred percent on for my business or the people that I'm working with. You know, there are quotes out there that literally say, if you're not playing at a hundred percent, it's self-sabotage, right? So if I'm not playing at a hundred percent in my business, it's self-sabotage. If I'm not playing at a hundred percent in my relationship, it's self-sabotage. It's not one or the other, but it's understanding the dynamics of there's 168 hours in a week, right? Where does it all fit? It's not about balance. It's not, okay, I'm going to spend half of my time making sure I'm with my family and the other half with my business. No, it might be, okay, this week, this is a 55-hour work week. And then I'm going to need to sleep because I'm going to be exhausted. I'm going to have to work out. Okay, I've got two three-hour pockets for my family this week. Also about being realistic, honest, but that comes down to having that dialogue with yourself, what's important to you, and having the conversation with the people that are important to you. If I think back to when I was talking about the thing that leaders struggle with is making sure that they can articulate their wants, their desires, their vision with their team. Well, your partner and your children are part of your team too, right? They're support is what allows entrepreneurs and business owners to flourish. Because again, if I've got an anchor at home that's not kind and slightly toxic, that crap is coming with me in my business world. But if I have somebody who's super supportive of what I do and they know why I do it, and I can set the stage on a weekly or monthly basis to them and say, okay, this is what I'm up against, right? I have a book coming out this year. The month of that book, like when that comes out and it's published, there's going to be a lot going on. A lot of PR around it. I'm going to be on doing a lot of talk shows. So there will be a different difference in that month than what's going on right now where I may be available a little bit more, but I'm not going to spring it on them. It's a dialogue that I'm having with them. And because I have a loving and supportive family, it works out. That's really interesting. And you know what? It's actually quite funny. We don't get to see much of the chief of staff's wife in the West Wing, but I would suggest, given the dynamic, he probably hadn't had that conversation. I think you're right that communication is so important. So all of your players know where you're going to be for them and in turn where you can't be for them because there are other things for them to understand the importance of that. I also love the comment you made of show me your calendar, I'll show you your priorities. There's just so much gold in that statement alone, just sort of working out because at the end of the day, like you said before, the biggest failure as from the people I talk to the biggest failure or the contribution the biggest contribution to people's failures is the lack of planning and planning on a yearly basis and then chucking it down to quarters months weeks and days my very first boss Mark who I talk about a lot he used to say that people don't have bad years they just have lots and lots of bad days. Because if you have enough bad days, that's a bad month. And enough bad months make a bad year. And people never plan on having bad years. They're going to have a great year. They're going to do, you know, a million dollars more than that this year than last year. Everyone's going to have a great year. But what do they do today? 
And it's so important. And again, like show me your calendar, I'll show you your priorities. The same works in every day when you're setting it up for success in your business. You know, I wake up in the morning. The very first thing I do is I open my day. What does that mean? It means I open my day planner and I literally look, okay, what's the big high level goal that I'm going after? What's the plan for this month that I've decided the how? What do I need to do today to move the needle forward to get to that goal that I said that I'm going to have? So I'm a 10 out of 10, sure that that's going to come to success. Simon, if I don't do that, what happens is I get 20 emails in my inbox before I even have my first cup of coffee. I respond to those emails. I start squirreling in 10 different directions. Somebody asks me a question I might not know the answer to. Then I Google that. Then I go over to social media and I scroll through that for 20, 30, 45 minutes or more. Then you go in 10 different directions from there and you get pulled in the directions because your customers need you and your team needs you. And all of a sudden at the end of the day, somebody looks at you and they say, how was your day? What did you do? I have no idea. My head's been spinning in 10 different directions. And one of the other practices I do is I close my day. You know how they say gratefulness is really good for your mental health. Well, what were my accomplishments today in my business? What did I do? What was great? What was working really well? Did I accomplish what I set out to? Well, if you didn't have a plan, then you didn't. And you may or may not have moved the needle forward, but you also might have moved the needle backwards because you squirreled too much and you pulled yourself so far away from the actual goal and you started to chase a new rabbit. One of the sayings I use frequently is if you chase two rabbits, you'll get none. So if you don't have a plan and go after that one rabbit, by nature, you're not going to get to that goal that you really want. So I think it's super important for people to realize that you do, you need to set yourself up for success and you need a plan. And I know there are those people who are listening right now who cringe at the idea of structure. I am a rebel without a clue. I don't like anyone else's structure. I create this structure for myself. This is all based on my goals, my priorities, what makes sense for me. And it's not like every 60 minutes I have a plan. It's sort of like, well, what are the three things that I need to do to make sure that today's a success? That's what I do. That might be six hours where I'm allowing the customers and the team to have all this conversation with me, but these three things are non-negotiable. They're not things that I can push into tomorrow. Those are things that I have to do today. The follow-up with the customer, the reply to that email, the sending out the proposal, those things have to happen today. So I do those today, right? Right, absolutely. And just going back to what you were saying a moment ago about if you aim for two rabbits, you catch neither. Ron Swanson, who is that great philosopher of our time from Parks and Recreation, famously said, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one, which I think is a great line. Okay. Love that. I shall use that. Absolutely. There you go. (laughs) So what are your top three tips for success? Oh, that's really good. So I would say number one, have a goal with a plan, with a metric that you're going to be watching. And that's tip one. That's not three tips. That's one tip. Have a goal that has a plan with metrics that you're going to be watching. So you can iterate along the way, because I guarantee you, guarantee you the how is going to change a group of times along your way to success, but you need to have the metrics to be able to watch it. If not, it's sort of like the person who says, Hey, I'm going to lose weight this month. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to work out six days a week and I'm going to change my diet. And they get to the end of the month and they didn't get to the weight loss they wanted. Well, probably because the how wasn't really the how they needed to do it. Maybe they needed to be eating more. Maybe the workouts they were doing needed to be more intense, whatever it is. But instead of testing the metric along the way, they waited till the end and went, I failed. No, the how failed. And if you would have iterated along the way, you probably would have had success. So I think that would be number one. I believe number two is you need to get really, really clear on what your strengths are. After eight businesses, and I've had companies that were in the real estate industry and the travel industry, and like I said, publishing and wellness center and all of these different businesses, 
you need to know what your strengths are. And self-awareness is not that common, unfortunately. And a lot of people just do not know where their sandbox is and where other people's sandbox begins. And you need to know your strengths so that you can play to them. You can play full out. You can use that 80-20 rule to your advantage. And then the things that are low payoff activities that are not working to your advantage, you hire, you delegate, you automate, you get somebody else to take on so that you're only playing in your awesome little shiny sandbox. And then tip three. Oh, this is like a toss up between a few things. So tip three would be, I'm going to go back to your priorities. I think there is really no true success in business. That's why I say it's an inside out game. I don't think there's any real true success in business. And again, success is one of those things that it's different. You know, your version of success is different than mine. And everybody who's listening has a different version of success. But the one thing that I think we can all agree on is we all want happiness and fulfillment and joy. And the way in which we get that come from a couple different angles. But at the basics of just human nature and what we're wired for is we're wired for having positive relationships. And so I think you need to set up your priorities. You need to know who's important, what's important. Hopefully you're on that list as well. And you need to set your goals up with keeping those priorities in alignment with that. Because I think if not, you could have the $10 million business and everything else around you be crumbling. And I've had those moments. I've had the business that's really successful and then burnt out, ended up in the hospital, took me six months to recover. You know, I've had the amazing business and then failed in my marriage. I've had all of these awesome things happen over here, but I wasn't paying attention over here. And there's the saying, the grass is greener where you water it. And so I think you need to decide which grass is really important to you and then make sure you're nurturing that grass, fertilize the grass, mow the grass, take care of the grass. So figure out what your priorities are. <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. Okay. So what's next carry on for you and for your business? That's great. So what's next for me this year is really about simplifying. Again, taking all those lessons that I have from my previous world and really simplifying so that I'm making the most impact. So I do have my book coming out, The Courage to Be, which comes out in April. It'll be available worldwide on Amazon. And I have a summit that will be specific for female leaders. It's the Resilient Woman Summit that's coming out at the end of May. And this is for female entrepreneurs and leaders in rising up, taking their power and having their authentic voice. So sorry, gentlemen. Although I should say every event I've ever done, I always have about 10 or 15 really brave, open-minded gentlemen join me. And I am all for that. So yes, the focus is on women because I think we're still a quiet, not as large voice as we need to be. But that is by no means because I don't have like mad respect for my men entrepreneurs and leaders. So those are the next big things and really just simplifying and focusing on my true passions, which is in working with mainly women entrepreneurs and leaders. Okay, that's amazing. So uh, Terrianne, if people wanted to reach out and work with you, how can they go about doing that? So you can find me on the web, terriannerichards.com. And I play mostly on Facebook and LinkedIn, Coach Terrianne on Facebook, and then Terrianne Richards on LinkedIn. And I'm always sharing lots of valuable insights. I'll go live every once in a while and share tidbits of what's on my mind. Um, very, very open, honest, vulnerable. And yeah, come join the community and hang out with me. That's amazing. Terrian Richards, thank you so much for joining us on the conference room. It's been amazing. I mean, I've learned so much just chatting through with you and different things kind of firing off my own mind about how I can improve. And I'm sure that that's going to be echoed by the people listening to this. So Terrian Richards, thank you so much for joining us here on the conference room. Awesome. Thank you so much, Simon. Have a great day. Coming up next week on the conference room, I'll be talking to best-selling author 
and workplace toxicity expert, Lynn Catalano. So a narcissist is defined by a very consistent pattern of behavior. They tend to seek out recognition and praise and need to be the most important person in the room, certainly, all of the time. They're unable to exhibit empathy or compassion. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you visit our website, theconferenceroompodcast.com, where you can find all the show notes, plus links to the resources mentioned during the podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this, make sure you subscribe so that you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Also, please take the time to review the podcast so the more people who want to grow their businesses can find us. To talk about this or any other podcast, or in fact, anything business-related whatsoever, find me on Twitter, at Simon Lader, or you can find me by searching for Simon Lader or Silesia Academy on Facebook or on LinkedIn. I'm always open to a conversation. Thanks for listening to The Conference Room. Until next time, keep talking. Thank you.